Welcome to the 100th episode of Comedians with Ghost Stories. I am your host, writer and comedian Emily Winter. I can't believe 100. 100 episodes. Am I insane? Maybe. But I do feel like I have a better hold now on what is happening when we see a ghost or when we die. I'm feeling more confident after having done 100 episodes, and I hope you are too, and I hope to have 100 more wonderful episodes. So, today's guest. I interviewed her a while ago. I did not know her when I started the interview. We had never met, and you'll hear it on this podcast. I am crying. Uh, I am just wrapped Um, she is a person who you meet and then you're like, oh, I have just met an extremely special, extremely magical human. Um, and I am so honored that she did the pod. I've been saving this episode for the hundredth episode because I thought it would be great because we talk about not only her paranormal experiences and her spiritual experiences, but also suicide and being a bit psychic and a lot of things that we've touched on over the episodes, but we talk about all of it here. Um, so anyway, Sam Bowling is amazing, and this 100th episode is so special to me, and it also happens to be right around the time that she is doing a one-woman show about her friend who died by suicide, um, and the one-woman show is called This Was Never Supposed to Be a One-Woman Show, a one-woman show, and it's uh, it starts here in at the Hollywood Fringe Festival on June 2nd and runs uh, throughout June. She gives the specific dates at the end, um, but I will put the link in the show notes uh, to get tickets. I will absolutely be going, and I hope you will too. Also, for people on the other side of the country, I'm going to be in Pittsburgh throwing my 64 Comedian One-Liner Madness show where 64 local Pittsburgh comics go head-to-head in a March Madness-style single elimination joke tournament. That is going to be on Saturday, June 24th, and I will put the ticket info in the show notes as well. I hope you love this 100th episode. Thank you for the support. Um, I look at the numbers on this podcast every week, and if I found that no one was listening, I would not have gotten this far. So please, you know, rate, review, tell your friends, um, but mostly please keep doing what you're doing, and thank you for for coming this far with me. Today on the podcast, I am super excited to have Indigenous actress, comedian, and writer, Samantha Bowling. Samantha, welcome to the pod. Hello. Thank you so much for having me. I'm so excited to be here. This is very cool. I am very happy to have you on, and I cannot wait to hear about your ghost story. Um, And you're also a Los Angeles person. I am. I'm in. I'm in Los Feliz. It, some might say it's Thai town, but I will dig my heels in. Is your is your ghost story from LA? My yes. Uh, well, they're my ghost stories are from sort of all over. So I grew up in Cincinnati, and like my first. My first sort of big one was was in in Cincinnati, and um, but but a lot of the a lot of the things that have sort of happened since then have been out here. Okay. And um, yeah, they kind of they kind of span all over the place. Um, Tell me about your Cincinnati experience because that sounds ooh. like one of your first ones. Yeah. Sure, 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 sure. Um, well, uh, I'll start with saying like I just want to say like I I've listened to a few uh, episodes of this and I'm just I'm so glad that this is like a believing space because I will say like I 
tend to chameleon to whoever I'm talking to. And when it comes to like my belief in this stuff, it kind of fluctuates like in accordance to whomever I'm sort of talking to and whether or not yeah. they're open. Like I believe as much as much as the person I'm talking to, where if like someone is not a, believe, a believer, I'll find all the ways to like explain away the, the synchronicities, but I do find, and it's super funny, it, it's always way more convoluted to figure out like practical ways that stuff isn't real like you need a lot more faith totally. to not believe than you do to believe but I, some people just want to be not into it and right that's okay. i totally agree and i'm coming from a space where like i absolutely believe however i have definitely talked to people where i'm like this is not a thing this is you lost your keys and then you found them so yeah, so I'm a believer, but I like I am not just like blindly following everybody because that would also be insane, I think. Right. Um, right. Yeah. yeah, some some discernment. It's yeah. it's definitely so I say all this with like the tone of like, if you believe such things. Yeah. Which like I I hope I age into that niche. Like, you know how some people sort of like age like Pedro Pascal is like a good example of like he kind of aged into his niche where like if you look at his older stuff, he's handsome and he's a good actor, but he's not like Pascal, you know what I mean? Like yeah. he just kind of looks like a a handsome, but like maybe malnourished turtle without a shell. <laughs> Do you know what I mean? It's like, hey, handsome, where's your house? You know, like oh he's not Pedro Pascal now. Now he is because he aged into his niche. You know, he kind of right. his face filled out and and he aged like a fucking fine wine. I hope that happens to me, but I do feel like my niche is going to be like the whimsical like horror movie witch who's like if you believe such things you know that's very much how i approach my experience with all of this <laughs> i love it in here this is a rare moment where i'm excited for aging you are very convincing yeah <laughs> well i do I, I i will um i i'm friends with i'm friends with elders there's like elders in my tribe that like i really i really just connect with on a lot of different levels and and um I just value them so much. I value their experience in life. And like, I, I seek out their advice and, and also just their company and their like friendship. And, and we're, we're so lucky to have the opportunity to age. Do you know what I mean? Um, I, I, a lot of what I'm going to talk about is about a friend of mine passing away. Mm -hmm. And, and when I, you know, I'm 35 and I, I look at my face kind of aging and I start to notice those, um, those changes and, and, part of me goes oh but then another part of me goes man i'm so fucking lucky mm -hmm. you know so many people don't ever they don't ever get to see what their face looks like when it ages yeah when it ages like a fine wine and so yeah yeah i take it i take it like that um <clears throat> so yeah um oh thank you um all right so I'm Sam, I'm a comedian, I'm indigenous, um, Cherokee and Powhatan descent on my dad's side. And over the last few years, I don't know, maybe maybe 10 or 20 years, I've kind of come to understand or like be open to the idea um, that I might be clairsentient. Like I have a laundry list of like really meaningful paranormal, if you would call it that, experiences. And I sort of chalk a lot of that up to being raised in an environment that was sort of spiritually open to such things. Okay. Um, like my, my, my mom's dad was a Presbyterian pastor. And I know that like Presbyterian is, is very conservative. It's very political. Like, um, like Mike Pence is, is, um, Presbyterian. So, so like that's, that was sort of part of the culture, but also like my grandfather specifically, he just had a very open mind about other kinds of spirituality. And, and especially when it came to indigenous stuff, it, he, there was a lot of times where he would sort of be like, you know, Oh, I think the Indians have it right. Maybe the Christians don't. And so, so Amazing. just this open-mindedness about, about what spirituality is and where, where energy comes from. And, um, and I was also lucky to like, my, my mother 
believed me or at least entertained me when I when I would um, notice things or when I would kind of piece things together and um, and I, I'm kind of grateful for that and and especially my my aunt my dad's sister and my dad's mom um, they're just remarkably intuitive especially with each other um, <clears throat> I remember I, I noticed it I noticed it the most I was new as a thing but it was sort of like undeniable when my grandmother died mm-hmm. um, was a first I, I want to call it paranormal I call it spiritual like experience mm-hmm. that I had yeah yeah and, oh yeah yeah that's absolutely i feel like they are hand in hand and it's sort of right whatever what, whatever you want and and spiritual is more familiar and like loving in a way when you yeah 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 like it really just depends on the lens through which you see it like you might experience something like this and be kind of spooked out but mm-hmm. if that's only if you're like afraid of ghosts if you see them sort of the way that we do where it's they're just people that just want to come hang out you know like when we have ceremonies and stuff we we invite them in we we include them because they're they are part of our community and their presence is is valued and and so so having that perspective and, and seeing that sort of like play out in, in my family in different ways um was was cool i i it, that's a superpower that's something that not a lot of people um, you have, have a really unique upbringing too i mean yeah. to not only be a cherokee but then also have this presbyterian background but having it be open and then being able mm-hmm. to sort of dip a toe in in both um mm-hmm. and be yeah is kind of amazing yeah. a lot of intersections mm-hmm. in my in my uh existence here um but yeah so um my, my grandma um fell at the grocery store when she was like 88 and oh. they rushed her to the hospital and they found stage four stomach cancer that had metastasized her pancreas Whoa. and she was given you know kind of like a like a a deadline mm-hmm. um <laughs> which I, just realizing how funny of a pun that is yeah. i never realized that that was a pun <laughs> but now that i think of it in this context a literal deadline yeah very funny a, a, a time a time to be dead <laughs> Uh, that's very funny. Um, so she was given like a couple <laughs> weeks to live or something. Yeah. 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 Matt, I don't remember exactly what, what, um, amount of time it was, but, but yeah, she, she, you know, was given the opportunity to pursue treatment and she was kind of like, nah, I'm good. Like I've had such a good life. Just give, you know, let me, let me spend the rest of my time saying thank you. And I love you to everyone I lived my life with and let's fucking go. So <clears throat> Christmas was her favorite holiday. She'd save up all year for Christmas Eve to throw like a sick party for our family and do gifts. And it was, it was her heaven. So that year, um, she made her phone calls and visited with her people and started to get, you know, real fragile in like December, uh, but kept telling us she was going to try to make it through to Christmas Eve. So by the time Christmas Eve rolls around and they had moved into palliative care, um, which is if, if you do, if you know what palliative care is, it's basically just where they try to make you comfortable for your transition. Mm-hmm. Um, and they had already moved her onto the liquid morphine. Now, um, I don't know what you know about liquid morphine, but like that shit fucks you up. Like you're mm-hmm. basically you you can't communicate once you once you move into liquid morphine. Like it's the end. You're just so so fucked up. But like my aunt Gail, um, which is my namesake, it's a family name. It's my my middle name too. Um, was still able to communicate with my grandma through this just really strong intuitive channel between the two of them. And around um, like six or or eight, if I remember correctly, just the time that we would normally do presents on Christmas Eve. Um, <clears throat> my aunt started pacing the house just really like her energy was just really like worked manic. up like like almost manic yes and yeah. she just she just kept saying she's ready she's ready but she can't leave she feels like we're not gonna be okay without her you know and just it like clicked on it 
at one point she was like, we have to go in and tell her that we're going to be okay without her. Mm-hmm. And she doesn't need to be in pain anymore. And we're kind of like, um, okay, weird. But like we humor her in my head. I'm a little bit like, wow, how cool that she knows that. But also, I don't know if she really knows that. Like she right. might, she might just be grieving and like going a little off and like, you know, we, we kind of humor and we all go into my grandma's room and, and put hands on her. Um, not in a fighting way, in like a prayer way. Lay hands, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. And um and it kind of starts as a low rumble. And I think I think it was Gail that kind of started it just saying, Mom, it's okay, you can go. Like almost as a whisper and like we, we all join in real hesitant. There's like 20, 20 of us in the room. Um my I have a lot of cousins. Um and um it starts with Gail and she's just like, Mom, it's okay, you can go. And um and it kind of just grows like we we hear each other saying grandma it's okay you can go and it, it, hearing everybody else encouraging her kind of galvanizes us and the energy just builds and it's growing and growing and growing to the point where it's like a fucking football game in my grandma's room of us just going go grandma go see your mama go towards the light we love you go go thank you go go and then all of a sudden with this build there was just this moment that i can i can only describe as like an inhale but imagine like okay so you know that shot that spielberg is kind of famous for where he i don't remember what it's called but it's like he pans in while he pulls the camera out or vice versa and it kind of it keeps the subject of the shot in focus while the the background Uh, kind of like warps around yes um this moment felt like that but like an inhale it was just sort of this warping enveloping and energy where we we all felt her it wasn't like it wasn't like she hovered above us and like waved goodbye and like left it was like we shared her last breath and then she just flew out her feet just gone just right then we knew it we all felt it it was silent we went from screaming to absolute silence at the exact same time and my aunt told my cousin who's a nurse to like take my grandma's pulse and she was gone in that moment that was the moment that she oh left. my gosh and like the whole family just felt it we all felt it we we shared it with her and like um that's so know, beautiful yeah I think so if you ask me it's the most beautiful thing I've ever witnessed in my life if you ask my sister who was holding her toddler who was very confused <laughs> if you ask her it was like horrifically traumatizing like we talked about it years later where I was like wasn't it beautiful and she was like what the fuck are you talking about that was horrible can you imagine being granny like everyone she ever loved in a room screaming at her to die like that does not it doesn't sound good to her but I, so I thought funny. it was beautiful things um, it just makes me feel like uh the system that we have right now and like like white people basically uh have it all fucked up <laughs> um yeah yeah in a, in a way and there's there's this mysticism around death and the process of dying that i feel like has been sort of commodified in a way um and and it's it's not been it's not traditionally like that in our culture in fact there was an episode i don't know if you watch reservation dogs but it's the best tv show in the history of tv shows and i love it and um there's this uh spoiler alert there's a character who who kind of passes that way and when i saw that episode i had two thoughts i was like is that like the indian way to go like (laughs) man we even die indian that's kind of cool but like (laughs) this idea that our ancestors were like guiding us guiding my 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 aunt from the other side on like how to go through this ritual and like created that channel to sort of like pull her into them was very cool i really love the idea that we were like passing her off to her her other people um and and 
I do. I do. I think it's beautiful. And then when I saw that episode, I also thought, man, every time I say that story, people would think that I got it from the show. And that's not <laughs> Yeah, yeah, yeah. It was my story first. Uh, Come on. <laughs> yeah. And and who knows that like a lot of people haven't had that experience. It's just um, people don't like to talk about death. Did um, you, so you said your sister was kind of freaked out by it, but you thought it was beautiful. Yeah. Oh, I thought it was beautiful. Did you talk to anybody else in your family about it at any point to like sort of get their like take on it? You know, no, it's really just been my sisters and my one sister didn't really remember it. I don't think. And then, Mm -hmm. and then Rachel was sort of like traumatized by it. I feel like I was standing right next to my dad and my dad, he was just real quiet. Just, you know, he just had his eyes closed and he was just sitting there praying with her. And, um, and I've never talked to him about it, but I could, I could feel how hard it was for him. I don't think it was like a beautiful experience for him either. I think it was like a really hard thing to let him go. I am terrified of losing my parents. And I, you know, I think about it all the time now that I'm getting older and they're getting older and like, yeah, so I get it. I mean, you can usher in death in a beautiful way, but it's still, it's not your best day, you know? Yeah, no, yeah, no. It's, I think of it like birth. Like we think of death, like, like it's this like death is not an end any more than birth is a beginning you know in the process of dying i feel like spiritually is like is similar in 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 life where like in life you're sort of building an identity and building an experience for yourself where it's like you get to be an individual person on this side and you have like the boundaries of a body that like keep your spirit in one place and keep it tethered to one perspective and on the other side you're sort of disintegrating that and reintegrating into a conscious collective so it's sort of the opposite process and like on this side we kind of long for the interwoven over interwoven like universal interconnectedness yes that beckons from the other side but on that side i think that they are kind of like they just love watching us and being part of our story to have an individual with the story to tell mm-hmm. with their own perspective and have that privacy and those boundaries i think is um i i think there's sort of that trade-off where it's like if you think of it like a like two half circles put together where like one side has one perspective and the other side has the other perspective and, mm-hmm. and they have each other's sixes in that way. I feel like that's what a, that's what like a, um, that's the circle I feel like of life. That was so articulate and beautiful. And I am going to like hold on to this audio because people are like, well, what do you think happens when you die? And I'm like, um, I'm just going to play this and be like that. <laughs> I love it. Um, and it's also, I think to the point of uh, the topic of this podcast, it's more about ghost stories, but having comedians on here and stuff, that collective energy that you feel when you're on mm-hmm. stage that you, mm-hmm. that is like so palpable, that's so beautiful. And you're talking about us yearning for not the individual, you're us yearning for the community because we are stuck in these individual bodies. Like, I feel that that is like an expression of that yearning. You know what I mean? Cause you Absolutely. get that, that like collective energy going and it's like amazing. Absolutely. And I feel like that's what I get from art too. I feel like that's what I get when I do plays and, and when I share stuff that I've written, it's when you create, it's like such a, such an intimate version of, of who you are and, and to be able to share that with people, even if it's in like a comedic way, even if it's like, you know, not, not completely sincere, it's like, you're mm-hmm. still, there's, there's an intimate part of you that you're, that you're offering up to, um, And then I feel very lonely after I create something. I feel Mm -hmm. very lonely. Like the the emotional hangover of that is so tough 
Yeah. Yeah. I get that too. I try to, I try to like plan things after projects to like mm-hmm. keep me to just like get me back in my body and like get me okay like this is over and we we're going back to our life and life is still great it's just that was really really great that was and really now, great yeah. yeah yeah no absolutely totally oh yeah. that's amazing um mm-hmm. so, so you have this experience before you come out west yeah and, then- and i don't know if that opened up a channel or a portal or like whatever the fuck but after that i was just getting messages and downloads just left and right just receiving all kinds of bizarre things i had no way of knowing like i could talk for days about just all the little things but i mean i have intuited like people's addresses before like what? Say I, more. yes well i haven't talked to this person yet and i i feel like it's i feel like i don't hmm I would feel more comfortable sharing that publicly if this was not the first time they were hearing about it. Okay, totally. Yeah, <laughs> that yeah, makes yeah. sense. But like they, you know, I, like my my entourage, my spiritual, like, you know, I think of them as my ancestors, but you know, like the conscious collective, spirit guides, whatever you want to call them. They have like literally told me where people live and that's kind of, my friends think it's cool. Uh, you think it's cool. I can tell. I, I think it's awesome. a little freaky. <laughs> I get a little freaked out by it sometimes because I'm like, can I'm not supposed to-, to have this information. I want, I, yeah, no, I think that, yeah. It's wonderful, and I want you to intuit some people's addresses and send them a box of poop for me. <laughs> it can be your dog's poop. I don't care whose poop it is. I, I got but plenty I of that. Have some enemies, and I need them to have poop sent to their door. Retribution. Okay, I'll see what I can do. I'll see. I'll see if I can do some investigating and figure it out. So, how huh. do these messages like come to you, and how do you feel them, and what do you do when you receive? Um, a lot of times when I receive them, I just kind of hold on to them and I kind of go, okay, because I have in the past gone directly to a person to be like, I got a download about you. And it's like, not the right time. And like, they, they were not ready to hear it. And it actually kind of fucked them up. Um, and then other times it's been, it's been better. I'll give you an example. So my friend Mandy my bestie from back home. So I'm a Libra and like some of my best friends are like my polarities. Remember it's like that other mm-hmm. other sides of the of the circle um my friend mandy is an aries taurus cusp and she knew my friend um that i that i um am about to tell you about um but mandy's father passed away when she was like i think 13 um and and she she always really missed him and and you know always really like hoped that he was like a part of her life um and you know many years later she met a really lovely man uh named vince and they decided that they wanted to get married. And I, hold on, Manny's mother also had some some health issues that were real, real kind of, I don't wanna say hit or miss isn't the right thing, but it's just like every now and then it'd be like, oh, we got a health crisis, we gotta deal with this. Mm-hmm. Um, and so, so many years later, I was out here in LA and um, I, got, uh, I got a save the date in the mail for their wedding for for a june for it was june it was a year from from now Mm -hmm. that they were gonna get married and i was like oh that's wonderful and then a couple days or weeks later um i don't remember the date i'm gonna make up a date but the date is is important i'm gonna say like june 6th Mm -hmm. i was in my kitchen i was digging around my fridge and i go to close the door and i feel her dad with me and i don't i don't know if i don't know if you've ever uh, felt this but like you know when you're like at a crowded bar or something and you feel somebody's eyes on you and you like yes. turn and look exactly where it is and you know exactly who it is that's looking at you yes. presences are, are like 
where it's like you feel them in the room as as undeniably as like if if Bowie walked into my room just or walked into the room just now like I know he's in the room with me even if I don't see him or even if I don't hear him I know he's there and so I don't always know who it is and I don't always know who the message is for but I knew this was Mandy's dad and what he said to me and it's not language right I'm not hearing like a voice of God or anything when I think about like how communication works you have a thought or a feeling and then you have to formulate that you have to be able to recognize what that thought or feeling is formulate it into uh, words push those words out your brain through your mouth and then the other person has to hear them with their ears process it what it means with their brain and then that understanding sort of like settles mm-hmm. and then communication has happened when you get like okay. a download that the language part goes away all the words and all the specifics of communication are still there but but the the medium of it kind of it, you you cut out the middleman of like okay. language so like yeah. i get this download that he really likes mandy's husband and i was kind of like okay neat and i'm thinking like well, they're not married yet like I wonder, I wonder how that works. Cause I, I feel like I understand that like time on the other side is very different mm-hmm. where it kind of, we think of time, like a line, like this happens and then this happens and then this happens and you like, it makes like this line. But if you like take that line, lift it up, turn it like 90 degrees so that it's like, you're looking down the barrel of like a, I don't want to say barrel again. Look, <laughs> looking looking like, down a tunnel. Yeah. Looking down a tunnel, right? You see, you see it all at once, and you mm-hmm. and it sort of recategorizes itself into patterns. And and I feel like that's like a. I feel like that's the way spiritual time works. You know, and we have this idea of like um, that time is sort of like a spiral. That like you're going up a spiral staircase, and you're going to keep getting. You're going to keep running into the same like views every time you go around but every time you experience that same pattern again you you're a little bit more elevated and you have a little bit more of a perspective mm. on it and like that's what like growing and learning is and and, and stuff so anyway <clears throat> i'm sitting here thinking maybe maybe since they're gonna get married in a spiritual sense maybe they're already married like maybe if he was ever gonna be her husband then he was her husband when he was born even though they hadn't met yet you know i'm just right. i'm just pondering all of these because i'm a baby at this so a few months or weeks later, August-ish, um, Mandy's mother passes away. Ugh. And I call her and uh, just to talk to her and just to be like, you know, just to be there for her. And, and, um, and she said, I just, I really wanted, I really wanted my mom to be there for my wedding. I really wanted um, my family, you know, I'm getting married in a year and, and I don't have any parents to be there. And I was like, well, I hear you. This is all valid. And also, uh, I, your dad came to me the other day and she was like, what? And I was like, yeah, he said he really liked your husband. And I was like, you know, I basically told her everything I just told you where I was like, I don't know if somebody who has ever been your husband is always your husband because that's how time works on the other side. Like maybe when he was born, he was your husband. And so that's why he said the word husband, but he specifically said husband. She was like, what day was that? I was like, oh, like I looked at my calendar. It was like June 6th. And she was silent. And I was like, uh, are you okay? Is this okay? Is it weird that I'm telling you this? This mm-hmm. I might have, this is not, I'm sorry. This is probably super triggering for you. And she goes, no, Sammy. She's the only person that can call me Sammy, by the way. No one else can call me Sammy. <laughs> She's like, no, Sammy, my mom, her health took like a turn. And I was really scared that my mom wasn't going to be able to see me get married. So on June 6th, we went into the woods. 
with uh, I can't think of the word right now. The guy that marries you with a guy that marries you. Yeah. Uh, with Vince's mom and Vince and Mandy and her mom, and they eloped. <gasps> and they got officially married on that day. Oh my god! And I he just came to me. So yeah, he came to me on that day to tell me that he really liked Mandy's husband. And I think about that sometimes, where I'm like, sometimes, sometimes messages have not landed well when I've just gone straight to them. But in that moment, I think it might have been really meaningful for Mandy to know like your dad is there your people are there they're they are always they fucking they show up they show up for you so like they love weddings they love births they love music like live music like playing because time they don't have time over there like time is music needs time you have a beat and then you wait a second you have another beat and then you wait a second they can't do that over there so like they love music they love visiting us for music and like you know weddings and, and all that celebration like it, it's just really important to them so like your your people are there for your wedding your people are there for your births your people are there to like pull you in when when things when it's time for you to pass too like you know and you can you can tap into them too if you just get quiet and think of them anyway that was that was sort of a big thing amazing that's <laughs> so amazing oh my god i have not cried on this podcast if ever i've never if ever uh, holy cow oh that is um, awesome i love Thanks. that story holy cow it's and cool. then that must have been very validating for you as like discovering that you can do this being like oh wow i'm mm-hmm. kind of psychic <laughs> yeah it definitely that was one of them that was one of the things that was sort of like okay i i don't i don't think this is I don't think this is a mental illness. I think that like this is an ability to channel and it's really come in handy. It really came in handy when my when my when my close friend and creative partner passed away. Um cuz you know some things that you got to know about me is um uh it take me as crazy if you want to like if it helps you sleep at night and it helps you explain away any magic if that's something that you for some reason want to believe is not real. Uh I do. I have some mental health diagnoses. I have a panic disorder, I have generalized anxiety disorder, I have clinical depression, I have a heart condition and ADHD, so you know you really can have it all. Um <laughs> don't ever let anyone tell you otherwise. Um but what I do not have is psychosis. I don't see or hear things that aren't real. Like, you know, mm-hmm. no shame to any of that. But like I I I know I know, you know what you real. have. I know where I am, that. I know where the ground is. Yeah. Yeah. Um I, I was hospitalized for depression. Um, that's code. Uh in twenty fifteen. And and when I came out of that, I had a conversation with my sister that really showed me that I had to get better. I was not allowed to hurt myself again. I could not do that to her. She like encouraged me, but also like held me accountable. And and from that point on, uh, I fucking, I dug my heels in and I really made managing my mental health, like the absolute end all be all priority of my life. And after several years, it worked. I was doing really well. I'm still doing really well. I'm going to always be doing really well because I, because I prioritize this. Mm-hmm. Um, so when I, uh, when my close friend and creative partner, Brittany, um, got like a doozy of a mental health diagnosis. I was like, dude, join the club. I fucking got you. Like, this is totally manageable. Now, uh, Britt and I go way back. We were in an improv group in college and we were super tight, like sisters. Like we could fight. Like mm-hmm. we were so close. That is like true intimacy when you can fight with somebody and know you're going to be okay on either side of it. And yeah, it doesn't ruin your relationship. Yeah. Not at all. I feel like it even galvanizes it. It even makes you stronger because you understand you're, you're learning each other, right? Mm-hmm. Through conflicts, you learn, you learn people and, and understanding is, is always, always good. Um, so you know, over the years, we had, we'd supported each other through many 
low points and high points. And the thing that always got us through was jokes. Like we could be silly with one another, even when we were feeling super shitty. Um, you know, we would hang out, we, we get each other at a house, we'd go rock climbing. We had the same size feet. So like we would, we would rock climb, whoever was on the wall would wear her rock climbing shoes and the mm-hmm. other one would belay in their bare feet and then we'd switch. That's like she'd come over and like, we'd play piano and guitar and like make up these really, just really just stupid songs. Just, we would make joy mm-hmm. even when we were feeling shitty. So like when she got her diagnosis, those years later, I look back on our friendship and I was like, okay, we can get through this. We've done this before. Now she may have had a few things going on, but like what she was officially diagnosed with was manic depression or bipolar disorder. And she was actually pretty stoked about it in the beginning. Um, she was like, this explains so much. Oh my God. Like there's a rule book for this. There's medication for this. People manage this well, let's fucking go. And so, uh, she was a really big advocate of breaking down the stigma of bipolar, that it wasn't hard to to be bipolar. Um, the things that made it hard to manage were the ways that it was like perceived in society that like resulted in her life being hard because she was bipolar. And she she was just really brave and, and open and, and it was galvanizing for her to talk about it. And mm-hmm. um, I know that for me in the past, the way that I have coped with stuff is through art. Like I wrote a pilot after I got out of the hospital that was really healing for me and, and I write songs. I find it's hard for me to process things uh, or like stop them from just going around and around in circles until I give my thoughts or my feelings like structure. Mm-hmm. And for me, that's like in scripts or songs. And for Brit, it was conversations and, and jokes. So I was like, dude, let's make a podcast. Let's like interview our funny friends mm-hmm. and, and demystify mental illness and create something in the middle of what we're processing and let it help, you know, shepherd us through this and, mm-hmm. and build community with other people instead of like, looking back on it with like 2020 vision be like phew so glad that's over like that's not always helpful that doesn't always make people feel like they're not alone in, right in it and that was really what she wanted to do she really was like i don't want to feel alone i don't i want other people to know they're not alone um and you know the podcast went well enough uh and it was really helping brit but it and it was right. really motivating her and she was so excited about it that she wanted to do a one woman show and i was like i love that for you uh, I don't want to do one woman show. So I directed her in it. And then it was just a lot like one woman shows are really hard. So we decided yeah. the next one we would perform together and I started writing it. Um, and I wanted to open with a song. I started writing this song um, about my sister and the conversation that we had um, that kind of, you know, jump started my survival instincts after I got out of the hospital. And it was just a super vulnerable, just like, thank you to her and everyone who shepherded me through these really rough times in my life. And, and I wrote the first verse in the chorus and the second verse and, and the harmony. And I, I planned, uh, I would sing and Brit would harmonize. And then we would have this like tap dancing interlude, just very grade school. Like, you know, That's that was so sort of cute. the charm of it. There's like yeah. think little kids sisters. Um, and I left the last verse for Brit to write when she made it through what she was going through mm-hmm. because I was so sure that she was going to make it through. Um, and then she didn't. Yeah. And I was suspended. like just like like arrested like your whole world powers down I don't know if you've ever experienced a loss like like a big one like an earthquake like tidal wave kind of loss but it's just like everything stops you wake up feeling like the world is normal and then it's like you remember you're in a bad story and you're just like no 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 like it I, I wasn't only grieving the loss of my friend but I was also grieving the loss of like this thing that we were creating this thing that like represented and embodied who we were to each other and it was right. like 
proof that we existed at the same time and loved each other in this very mm-hmm. specific way. And, and that, that thing, the, the idea that that thing would die with her, it just felt like it was just too fucking much. And I just, well, I couldn't it's also, accept it's, it. Your coping mechanism is also then kind of messed up because you can't make the art yeah. because you don't have the partner. And it's, yeah, she's it's, my sounding board. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. And so you, you've got several versions of loss going on. That's so horrible. Yeah. yeah. I'm sorry. Thank you. I, I, I just, I really couldn't accept it. I couldn't accept it, but I also like, I didn't know how to hold it. I, this idea that like this thing would die with her was just so fucking heavy, but I couldn't let it go. So I just like carried it with me. This feeling left of like, I can't let it die. I can't let it die with her, but what do I do with it? Cause, cause no option moving forward felt good. Like I couldn't rewrite it for one person that felt gross. Mm-hmm. I could, I couldn't recast her. That felt even grosser. I almost wanted to like perform it as written for two people, but with one person just gesturing toward an empty space and like interacting with an invisible person which felt funny but also like kind of fucked up and dark and like bordering on insensitive like imagining that someone who's like I'm always thinking that like my audience is some somehow in in navigates these same things so I'm like thinking of someone who's like processing depression or like a loss from depression would see that and misinterpret like themselves or their loved one is like the butt of a sick joke like I knew it was such a delicate line to dance around Mm -hmm. and it would be really really hard to do that by myself without like a sounding board to like ground it and make sure the intention was landing but I just felt like I just felt like Brie would have thought that was really funny you know like especially the tap dancing part of someone just very choreographed doing this very choreographed thing and then like pausing for someone who's not there because they're dead like she would have thought that was so fucking funny it is it's very it's very dark humor it's amazing yeah but also you're like does that is that is that the is that attention gonna yeah 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 so I was trying to stay active during this whole time just like trying to get out of my house and get in the sunshine and be in my in my body and be in the world and and just ground and and I went to the art walk uh, at the brewery and I'd never been before I'd heard about it but I'd never gone and as I was driving there I noticed that the art walk was right next door to the rock climbing gym that she and I would go to the stronghold Mm -hmm. is this in LA it is. It's in. Okay. Um, I'm relatively not, new, so I don't know. Okay. Yeah. It's it's not downtown. It's not Boyle Heights. It's not Lincoln Heights. I don't actually know what this part of town is called, but it's sort of like southeast downtown, okay. and it's a very specific part of town. Like the brewery is like a very specific like complex. It's sort of a landmark, I guess. Um, so. And it's right next to a rock climbing gym called the Stronghold. And after I walked around the art walk, I just like let my curiosity just sort of like, and probably a little bit of masochism, just like lead me to the Stronghold. And I, I'd never been there without her. And I hadn't been since last time we went together. And um, no, remember when I said that like Britt and I would share rock climbing shoes? Mm-hmm. Well, when her friends uh, and her boyfriend's friends were clearing her stuff out of their apartment after she died, her boyfriend pulled out her rock climbing shoes and was like, Hey Sam, do you want these? And I was like, yes. And he put them in a pile that he thought was my pile and uh, of things that I was like taking. And somehow the wires got crossed and those shoes accidentally got donated to Goodwill. Um, and I just kind of chalked it up to, well, I guess they're gone forever. But when I walked into the stronghold, I was like flooded with this somatic memory of like us climbing there and dicking around and being silly and having fun, you know, just the joyful moments of our friendship. And I just had this very strong urge to go to Goodwill and find these shoes, even though it was months ago. Like there's no way there's they're no still way. there. Yeah. There's no way. But I, I was just like, I gotta find these shoes. I gotta go. I felt like Brittany wanted me to just like go. I just felt like, I felt like I was manic myself for a second. It was just like heart palpitations. It's just like very important. I have to go straight to Goodwill and I have to get these shoes. So mm-hmm. I knew. 
I get in my car and I go to the Goodwill and I, I like speed. There's no reason. Like I'm going like 15 to 35. I could have chilled the fuck out, but I was just like, <laughs> yeah. and I walk straight to the shoe section and the very first pair of shoes that I see, I probably see them from like 50 feet away. They are not her rock climbing shoes, but actually a pair of tap shoes in our size. Oh, brand new. Oh my gosh. They looked like they'd never been worn. The taps weren't scuffed up, not even a little bit. I went there thinking Britt wants me to find her shoes and I did. That was like all I needed. I felt like she was saying, do it. Do the thing you think I think would be funny because it is. I got you. Let's go. Just made me feel like I wasn't, you know, by myself. I like pay for the shoes. I go to my car and I just weep. I just fucking lose it. I just sit there and I fucking weep. I just felt like I wasn't carrying this thing by myself anymore. And I, and that was really beautiful, but I still had a lot of questions, mm-hmm. right? Like shoes aren't going to do it. You know what I mean? Like now, um, one of our podcast guests, um, Nick Kocher, uh, is a really great comedian, lovely person said something on our podcast that like really impacted me. And I can't remember exactly what I've never been able to listen to our recordings back because Brit stored them on a hard drive that's encrypted and her family hasn't been able to get past the encryption. So as much as they want us to be able to access that work, it yeah. just doesn't seem possible. And you hadn't put them out yet. We hadn't put them out. No, yeah. we, we were going to do eight episodes and then like release them um, yeah. as we kind of got momentum going yeah. and like figured out how to do it. Um, and we, we taped like four or five episodes and then we decided to take a break and do the solo show and then the other shows and then come back to the podcast and Mm -hmm. you know what happened. So I just have to accept that that's gone. And, and so I do my best to remember. Um, and I wish I could, I wish I could watch it because it was just so important to her. Um, and I've gotten messages from psychics too, that they want, that she wants me to, but we can talk about that in a second. Do something. She wants me to do something with it. Um, but I can talk to you about that in a minute. Um, if we have time, um, uh, there's, so this one interview, uh, where this guest was talking about being in a really stressful fight with his partner at the time, mm-hmm. uh, on vacation and having this moment of clarity where he was like, I think this fight might not be about the thing we're fighting about. It might actually be about the story I'm telling myself about the thing that we're fighting about. Mm-hmm. And like caught himself in this moment and went, I need a minute and like removed himself and like found a private safe space where he could just like get quiet and like listen to himself and just be like, you are enough. I do remember that just like him, like hands on his chest, just going, you are enough. You are enough. You are enough. And I was like that I got to do that right now. I got to find a place where I can get quiet. Now I couldn't go home. Like I lived with a partner who was really lovely and is still one of my best friends, but like things weren't good with us at the time. And like our Mm -hmm. home was safe, but it was not a place where I could really ground. Yeah. So I went to this meditation center in Mount Washington and I found this really lovely bench in a clearing just surrounded by these like tire lilies and flowers that smelled so good. And the trees around this clearing were making the like sunlight come through in these beams. It made the particles of dust in the beams like look like glitter. And I'm just, I'm sitting there focusing on what I can see and smell and taste and feeling my breathing and just feeling so grateful to be in a body and thinking mm-hmm. about how Brit isn't anymore. And thinking about how I almost did what she did in 2015, but I didn't because of my sisters and thinking about her sisters and how much I cared about them. And, you know, I just, I wrote this song about my sisters pulling me through and Brit never wrote her verse. And I just sat there and just like held her sisters in my heart and like in my mind, like, like, like a whistle on the wind. I I hear the melody of the song I wrote just like, um, And 
I got my notebook out and it just started to get like a jumble of like all these phrases and words, just like an avalanche in my brain. Just, I just started writing it down what I was getting, not thinking about it, not even processing what it was, just, just brain dumping, just Mm -hmm. going, I'll make sense of it later. Yeah. Just writing and writing, writing, writing. And I wrote it all down and the download kind of stopped. And I looked at what I had written and it was, it, it was a message. It was a very clear message, basically saying what I did wasn't your fault. I was in a lot of pain. You helped me and I'm okay now. And Emily, it was in the same verse pattern and rhyme scheme as the rest of the song. Oh my God. I shit you not. Like oh my God. Scout's honor. Now, maybe I made it up. Maybe I made it up. But if so, I'm a fucking genius. And I have <laughs> doubts about that. <laughs> I put a plastic coffee cup in the microwave the other day. So genius feels unlikely. <laughs> Oh my God. Oh, so what did you do? Did you use it as the final verse? I, I did. I did. I, I, I felt pretty confident that it was her. Um, the, I mean, the, it, it kind of took me a second to process it, but I was like, okay, so this is how I know it was her. There's two things. One, she rhymed a word with itself, which you can't do. That's not how poetry works. I'm a perfectionist. I would never do that. You can't, that's cheating. And there were a few times where I was like, I might just tweak that. And I feel a very resounding, no, Sam, it doesn't have to be perfect. I said what I said. Um, and then two, she makes a very distinct reference to Mountain Dew, which is very like, okay, like, <laughs> did you just not find another thing that fit into the rhyme scheme? Like, what the fuck? Like Mountain Dew? Well, I shared, the first thing I did was I shared all this with Britt's sister, uh, Britt's two sisters, uh, like I do in and as I was sitting in this meditation garden, holding her sisters in my heart, I get this message. Like, I have to share it with them. This is not, this is not about me. So I was talking to Britt's sister and I asked about the Mountain Dew reference. And I was like, did Britt like have a weird obsession with Mountain Dew when you were kids? And her sister goes, mm, not that I recall, but I did. Oh. So I wrote this song about my sisters helping me navigate like the dark inner workings of my mind. Yeah. And my sisters, of which I considered Brit one, and then Brit wrote her verse about hers. Um, oh gosh! Yeah. So yeah, and I felt like I, I felt like at that point, I had, I had what I, I had the information that I needed to know that she was like doing this with me and and rooting for me and like wanted this. That so you weren't um, just plucking random words from the universe yeah no no way and uh you know there have been little things that along the way that she's like nudged me on throughout the process like um it's hard producing I don't know how to do it Britt was our producer it was all very very mm -hmm. intuitive for her and I'm not that person um so like you know just trying to piece together how to find all the stuff for it and like get all the props and all the set pieces and get the people in the space and find the space and get the tech. I just, it's a lot. I'm learning how to do it now. It's taken me about five years, but, um, but there was, there have been different times throughout the process where I'm just like, man, this is hard. I don't know if I can do this. I don't know. If, maybe I made all that up. Maybe I'm not actually supposed to do this. But one, one day when I was having that, um, the, those thoughts, I was running in my neighborhood and um, the only prop I really needed that I couldn't do without was a microphone stand to just sort of like represent the space on stage that she Yes. Occupies yeah. just like energetically. And, uh, and I was like, what am I going to get a fucking microphone stand? Like this list is just going to keep growing. And, uh, just feeling like, woe is me. I I'm doing this by myself and that sucks. And, uh, I, I run, I turn the corner and sitting in the middle of this crosswalk where the crosswalk kind of turns back into a sidewalk. I shit you not blocking the path is a fucking microphone stand. <gasps> 
So it's like there have been little things like that. that and just that of... was just like you could take it. That was free. Oh, I took it. I did. Oh, yes. Yeah. I fucking took it. It's, it's Yeah, it's the problem of my show. It's like a set piece of my show. Um, but but yeah, I. Holy cow. I, I love that. Yeah, those were, there were other things, but I feel like those were the ones that really, like, cracked me open. And, like, you could say that my brain was making weird connections because I was grieving. And, like, you wouldn't be wrong, but also, like, look, that doesn't mean the connections aren't real or sound or correct. Like, grief and loss and these big moments, these big, like, these life or death experiences, they do. They fucking crack you open. They create a, I, I, do, I truly believe that, 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 like, what Western culture sees as mental illness is, like, there's a spiritual element to that, mm-hmm, right? Mm-hmm. You just, you just got to have boundaries and, like, learn how to navigate your own thoughts because like what you're what you're experiencing what you're carrying it might not be all yours and it might not it might not be as scary as it feels you know what I mean like there have been times in my life where I have felt like my entourage is pushing things to the surface that need to heal that I need to feel myself I need to feel my way through and I need to dig it out and clear it out. And, you know, like they, they, they hold accountability for that. And, and, and that's sort of, you know, I say, I say like, just have boundaries and like, you know, manage your thoughts. Like it's an easy thing. Mm-hmm. It's, it's, it's super fucking hard, but it does get easier the more you practice and the more you sort of train, you know what I mean? It's like, um, thinking about it, like, like it's a superpower, like your, like your mental illness can be a superpower if you learn to manage it, if you take responsibility for it. Like it's, you know, that great power comes with great responsibility kind of thing. Like therapy can be like superhero training. I think a lot about like, um, do you know David Foster Wallace? Mm-hmm. Okay, so, so he's a writer, prolific, really, really talented. Just his perspective is just really groundbreaking. And he uh, he was a professor at uh, Kent State University, which is a small college in Ohio where I grew up. And um, and he one year did like the commencement speech for his graduates mm-hmm. and they like published it. Like it's it's super profound. Uh, the, the speech is called This is Water. And it starts with um, two young fish are swimming along and they come along they come upon an older fish, and as mm-hmm. they pass the older fish, the older fish tips his little fishy hat and says, "Morning, boys, how's the water?" And as the young fish, the young fish smile and nod, and they swim away. And when they're out of earshot, the one young fish turns to the other young fish and goes, "What the hell is water?" And he goes on to talk about all these energies that we navigate on a day-to-day basis are that water that they're esoteric in the sense that they are only acknowledged by a small amount of people who are consciously and intentionally reminding themselves to be aware of them. And that those people can navigate the world a little bit more meaningfully because they know what that energy is and that they are but a small part of a very, very big, you know, deal. Um, I would argue that that perspective is true while also acknowledging that like someone who is fully in the water doesn't see it the same way that we don't see air air like we know it's there we interact with it it has an effect on us but we're not thinking about it if we're in it you know and so people that do see it are conscious people that do see the water are consciously aware that there is also a not water if water is a metaphor for the day-to-day mundanities that make a life a life someone that Mm -hmm. appreciate that appreciates that knows that there is also a not life Mm -hmm. and that is sort of this weird kind of gift that like grief and loss kind of gives you it's that, that this side is the, the acute awareness that this side is finite and the other side is infinite. And so there's no rush to get there. It's not something to be afraid of, but it's also not something to rush to either because it, that transition only goes one way. Right. Now, That's David Foster Wallace. Wonderful. I like that a lot. 
I think so. There is there is a, there is a caveat to it in in a sense. I I, I have to mention um, because it's thematic. Uh, David Foster Wallace died of suicide. Mm-hmm. I and I hate that I can't see his brilliance through a different lens, but I also think it's true for him and true for everyone that his depression was at times a superpower. Because look at the perspective he offers, you know, mm-hmm. and because he thinks so deeply, so deeply considers these big, scary ideas, it gives him this perspective and a stakes that's incredibly meaningful. I, I mean, like people that get that low that they would consider suicide, speaking from experience, it's not an impulsive thing. Mm-hmm. You think about it for a long time. You likely want to do it for a long, long time. And so in a way, they're ex- they're experts at life. You know, nobody else has faced that mega boss at the end of the video game so many times in one. Because every time you don't do it, you win. You buy yourself yeah. more chances to like unlock the next level and figure it out. And and you might be right there, like right on the edge of a breakthrough. And and I think that people that manage mental illness are kind of straddling both sides of the veil, you know, between worlds. And the way you stay here is you get into your body, you get into the water, you swim, you go, this is water, this is water, the same way that our podcast guest was, was like, you are enough, you are enough, you tell yourself, you make meaning, you make meaning of it, you make meaning of the water, you make meaning of of whatever it is and the meaning that you make of it is going to be real for you. So I, I have learned to be very careful about the narrative that I tell myself, what the water is, what the water means. And it can be hard to sort of boss yourself in this weird way, but that's how you take responsibility for it. You know, cause like, you know, you know that part of the superhero movie where like they haven't learned, like they have this power, but they haven't learned how to manage it yet. How to use it. They yeah. don't know how to navigate and something yeah. terrible happens. Like power can be destructive. Water can be dangerous. You can drown. Yeah. But if you know what the water is, if you learn how to swim, if you learn how to pace your breath, you can do some really cool shit. So like, I know this episode might be kind of triggering for some people. I just want to encourage people to like take care of themselves and be gentle with themselves and know that like as cool as it is that Brit is with me on the other side that we have this sort of spooky and or spiritual connection. There is not a day that goes by that I do not wish that she was with me here in a body. Yeah. And I know that things can be really hard and and this world can get really dark and and it can be harsh, but there's also a lot of beauty in it too. You've got to look for it. You got to train yourself to look for it and it gets easier to find, you know, like as dark as the world is, it can also be really beautiful if you, you know, can I ask you like, believe what, such things? <laughs> what would be like a, something as you are learning to harness these abilities and all this, what would be something that you don't do anymore because it just simply does not serve you? It's oh, a great question. Um, I don't, I'm very discerning about who I spend my time with and the energy that I surround myself with. I'm very protective of my energy. Mm-hmm. That's great. Um, like, and it's not in like a negativity, positivity kind of way. I'm not, I would never say that I avoid negative people because I think that there's, there, there can, there's perspective there and there's awareness there and there's accountability there. And all those mm-hmm. things are important, but like, I'm very aware of what drains me and what fills me up. And I find that I need a lot of solitude. Mm-hmm. I never really had that um, in my life until like relatively recently, you know, I come from a big family and, and, you know, I'd always had roommates and, and I had a few opportunities to like live by myself and it was really scary to navigate. But I also found that like, it was so necessary for my mental health because I didn't know how to get quiet before that. 
-hmm. Like I, I didn't, it felt so scary to do. And then once I spent that quiet time with myself and, and just sat with myself and, and, um, I learned, I learned to listen better to, to myself and what I need. And I started to different, to learn how to differentiate between my own voice and other voices. And I'm still on that journey. I'm still figuring that I'm still navigating that, but I do get, I do get better at it. The more I consciously practice, it's like sort of a mix between mindfulness and like in like solitude and really like wringing myself out from energies that aren't other energies. And it's helped me learn myself a lot better too. And that's really important to be able to ground in yourself. I have another question that's sort of related, which is how do you know the difference between like a download and you just having a rush of ideas? Um, sometimes you don't. I think that a lot of people think that they made something up when they just heard it, when they, when they channeled it. I've, I've been there a few times. My show, the show that I, that I was telling you about, um, a lot of it came through these downloads and I thought I made it up. And I have since read some books that were written by like death doulas mm -hmm. or, or mediums. Mm -hmm. um, and, and I shit you not, there are verbatim phrases in those books that I wrote in my script five years ago. Wow. Like there's a, there's a, um, there's a guardian angel character who's like, exasperated from running around after a self-destructive client mm -hmm. um and she's sort of she's very adhd in the sense that like um she's just juggling a lot in her brain all the time but it's sort mm -hmm. of you find out that it's sort of an organized chaos mm -hmm. and um and i thought i made her up and i don't think i did like the more i research what what she's talking about and and i i yeah, I, I, I don't think I made it up. I thought I did, but I didn't because those they're out there and I didn't, you know, these ideas, these phrases, even like literal, literal sentences that I could cut and paste. I, I hadn't had any access to them before and yet there it is. You had this language that you were like, I don't know why I'm, I'm using these words and I'm using this language. And then you're like, oh, this is the language that is being given. Yeah. to not only me, but other people that are spiritually in tune. Mm. Um, wow. That's amazing. Yeah. And I think it's okay to a certain extent that like what feels like creative is, is actually channeled because I think that that's, I think that's what like God is. God mm -hmm. creates God is, you know, like this collective energy of, of life. It's like, you know, you know, those bumper cars that like, have those old school bumper cars. So there's this place in Cincinnati called Kings Island and they have this, it's an amusement park and they have this bumper car ride that's like from like a hundred years old. And, and there are these big bumper cars and they have these metal poles that stick straight up to, yep. and they touch onto like a grid, like a metal grid. Yes. And so like they can move freely around the grid because there's an, the, the grid is electrical current. Yes. I feel like, I feel like a body is the, is the, bumper car but like what animates it is is that god energy and that electric current that's going through the grid that is that is god energy that is collective conscious and that that thing that energy that animates us also creates 
I think we're most godlike when we create. And so I think that that it's very it makes a lot of sense that you might not be able to tell the difference between something that you made up and something that you channeled. I love that. And for a, for a comedian, it's like, yeah, don't steal jokes from other people. Just take it directly from God, baby. You know? <laughs> Why steal jokes when, yeah, yeah. When you have Why a direct channel to from, the divine. Right, right, right. From your friends when you could just steal them from God. Um, exactly. <laughs> I love this. I love this conversation. Um, are there any other instances that you want to talk about or do you want to like plug your shows and yeah. Mm, I do want to plug a show. Um, I mean, I, I mean, this podcast would be eight hours long if I told you everything, but I'll tell you what, I'll tell you the most recent one that happened. My friend, Jessica, who's another Aries woman. We love our Aries women. Um, she's, uh, been pregnant and, um, the other day, uh, I was vacuuming my house and I just kind of looked up and I just like saw her like screaming (laughs) in my head, just like really struggling. Oh my God. And I texted her, I was like, you're screaming in my head right now. I'm just sending you strength and love and I'm with you. And I like put my vacuum down and I just sat there and I just like, just like held her like in my heart. And uh, the next day (laughs) she texted me when she finally had her, when she finally had her phone back on her, she texted me and she's like, you are, you are truly plugged in. I was, I was like, Maybe like an hour after I texted her, she f- was her final push and she finally got the baby out. But she was in labor for like 20 hours. Oh my God. She was literally, when I saw her screaming in my head, she was literally screaming. She was, and you had no idea that she had gone into labor? No. Insane. Not, yeah. Oh my gosh. Give this woman a TV show, okay? <laughs> Holy shit. Uh, wouldn't that be cool if, if your gift was that, like like reliable that you could like show up in a place and be like, yeah, like, you know, if you could treat it like a party trick, I'm not that strong. I don't think I could do that, but it would, I just think it's neat. Yeah. Yeah. Like go up to a guy and be like, the next time you meet a woman named Jessica hit on her, she's gonna hook up with you. Yeah. Uh, it would be incredible. But yeah, unfortunately I don't think, uh, I don't think most people are like that, that I've spoken to that are so intuitive. Mm. Um, yeah. Yeah. I had, um, I, I talked to, um, when I, when I was having a lot of these experiences, I, I, you know, like I, like I said earlier, I was worried that it was like a mental health problem. Um, and I like went, I, I went to tell my therapist about it fully expecting her to be like, okay, okay. This, there's a name for this. Uh, let's get you on some medication. This is, this is manageable. We can do this. Um, and she didn't, she was like, wow you have a very strong intuitive gift. Have you ever, have you ever talked to a psychic? And I was like, are you fucking licensed? Like, are you serious right now? Like (laughs) just not expecting her to say that. And she actually encouraged me to, to like cultivate it and like learn, learn how to, how to sort of like, I don't say control it, but just sort of like learn how to use it. And I I did, I went to talk to two different, um, two different uh, mediums and spiritual healers and, and stuff about this. And they both, they both told me the exact same thing. Um, one, the first one told me that Brit communicates to me through song. And, um, I don't know. I thought, I felt like she was talking about the song. Yeah. Um, but also like we, we have a couple of songs that just like, they, they just keep popping up in the world and that could just be the radio. I don't know how weird that is, but like, Mm -hmm. 
but I do feel, I do feel her presence with, with some songs specifically. Um, and then she also said that there is a desk somewhere that's like red and or brown. It's like an old desk. It's got three, uh, drawers going down the, uh, what side is this? Um, right. I struggle with left and right. I, <laughs> I always, uh, I always have three drawers on the right side. There's two skinny drawers on top and a thicker one on the bottom. And in the thick drawer on the bottom, there's a file. They, they, neither one of them could tell if it was a, like a digital fire, if it was like an actual fire, like a notebook and that there's something in there that we were working on together. Oh my God. She wants me to pick up and run with and that exact phrasing, pick up and run with. And I went, I went to one uh, medium and then I went to another medium who told me the exact same thing. And I was like, okay, Holy so there isn't, there is the option that like, I don't know, maybe all these psychics went to psychic school and they just say, this is just something that they say to everybody. But there's yeah. part of me that doubts that like people that believe they're psychic would be that organized. Yeah. Like, <laughs> As one of them, I am not. Um, so, so it just feels more likely that um, that that it that it is real that they are getting it from Brit. And then the second psychic told me something that actually kind of fucked me up when I talk when I talk to you about like you know the whether or not to pass along a message. Uh, I kind of was on the receiving end of something that fucked me up a little bit. Where not in a bad way. I mean, this she was so helpful and she did give me the option to not listen and i was like i was kind of like not really thinking it was that big of a deal so i was like fuck it like let's go whatever i'm already here so like might as well do it and she uh so i was engaged to a really really lovely really lovely person um um up up until leading up to brit's passing um I was in a, I was in this really, really, I was in a relationship with a really wonderful person, but like, I was kind of starting to come to terms with the fact that like, we weren't really for each other. <laughs> and, um, and that was really triggering for Brit. Like, um, she was just in a weird space where like, she was just convinced that if I left Max, that like her boyfriend would leave her. And it was just like, so I just kind of like stopped talking to her about it. Um, and then she passed and my partner and I kind of started talking about maybe like uncoupling. Mm -hmm. And then I found a lump in my breast that was not behaving like a nice lump. It was behaving like a scary lump. Um, and so we attacked that pretty aggressively. And then when we were on the other side of that scare a few months later, uh, we kind of looked at each other and we were like, I love you. I will always love you. Like you are my Dolly Parton song, but like, this isn't, this isn't for us anymore. And mm -hmm. I was, I was really feeling alone, really feeling like my most important partnerships just in the matter of a few months, just like completely fell out from underneath me. And, um, and I, and so I went to see this, this psychic who told me that the person that I had just uh, ended things with was not actually my person and that my person is somebody that I already know. Oh, that it's somebody that um, that we've known each other for a long time, and we've just kind of like been aware of each other and kind of kept an eye on each other from afar, but we've never really like linked up. Like mm -hmm. we might be acquaintances. She said that she said that what she was seeing was two planets that were orbiting around one another, mm -hmm. and um. And that 
the reason that we haven't landed yet is because they aren't ready. They, there's some things that they still have to learn and that I, I don't have to do anything, but I just have to take care of myself and know that when they're ready, they'll make their way to me. Oh and my gosh. It's interesting dating with that intro, with that, with that. Right. That, knowledge or understanding because like I'll, I'll meet somebody on hinge and i'll just kind of be like you're nice but i i don't know you so you're not right. the, you know like i have to really catch myself i have to really catch myself because that was what like four years ago or something like and you're like how long is this person gonna take because i'm fucking ready yeah. like i've been ready you know so so yeah it's now i don't know that i would want that information but um because it's hard to fully invest in anyone when you have that information yeah. 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 And it's, I feel like it's, I feel like I don't have agency over my choices when it comes to that. You know, I feel a little bit like, not like what's the point, but it's just sort of like, I don't know. But if it's, if time isn't linear, then it is your choice. It's just your choice in the future. That's so a very good point. It, yeah. And if, that's and a little if bit. he's my husband, he's always been my husband. Yeah. 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 That's a good Oof. point. This has been absolutely amazing. I love this yeah. conversation so, so much. Um, but Sam, tell people where to see your show, where to yes. find you, where, tell them anything you want about yourself. Yes. Um, where did my phone go? I had my dates for my show on my phone and then I put my phone elsewhere. Um, I am Sam Bowling. I, um, I'm on Instagram. You can find me at uh, the Samantha Bowling um on insta and um my show is gonna it's called this was never supposed to be a one woman show a one woman show i love that title <laughs> thank you um it's it's gonna be part of the, the hollywood fringe festival i'm i'm working out of the broadwater theater in hollywood and my dates are um june 2nd at 10 june 9th at 7 june 10th at 2 June 18th at nine and June 24th at three 30. So I'm going to put all this information on my Instagram. I will be, I mean, just utterly blitzkrieging people with, if, with all this information over the next few, few months. But like, if you're in town, come through, it's going to be a good show. It's going to, it might be a shit show, but it's going to be a good shit show. I will absolutely be there and send this stuff Yay. to me so I can put it in the show notes. And, absolutely. um, this is amazing. Cool. Thank um, you. Well, this is very you. cool so so much for doing the podcast mm, thanks for having me this was really fun thanks for being so so receptive and and, and open you a real one thank you for listening to comedians with ghost stories if you want to throw me a follow i am on instagram at emily mc winter again that's emily mc winter also rating and reviewing the podcast helps people find it so we can keep growing and that's good for the whole world